Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of child abuse, substance abuse, and sexual assault involving minors that some people may find disturbing. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In the early morning hours of May 22, 2009, a 19-year-old woman snuck out of her house. With one arm, she pulled a wheeled suitcase. In the other, she carried an infant. The street was already slick with the morning dew. To the average person, the small Welsh town of Kidwelly looked like any quiet corner of suburbia. But to this woman, it was a living nightmare. She held her breath and hoped the baby stayed calm as she crept down the street. Her steps quickened the farther she got from the house. By the time she made it up the hill, she was running, headed straight for a pair of headlights pointing in her direction. As she approached, the driver opened the door in a swift motion. She looked around to make sure no one saw her before stuffing her luggage inside and sitting down. The driver put his arm around her and left it there for a moment. But the woman couldn't relax, not until they were as far away from Colin Batley as possible. She was never going back. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Last week, we discussed a group the media dubbed the Cul-de-Sac Cult, formed in the small town of Kidwelly, Wales. We covered the early life of its leader, Colin Batley, and the twisted abuse his followers endured for years. This week, we'll learn more about the survivors of the cult. We'll follow a brave escapee who used the pseudonym Annabelle Forrest in her memoir. Annabelle exposed Batley's crimes to the police and finally brought him to justice once and for all. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. From the mid-1990s, Colin Batley had led a religious cult in Kidwelly, based on the beliefs of occultist Alistair Crowley. Batley's church of over a dozen members operated out of multiple homes in a quiet cul-de-sac. He performed bizarre rituals and sexually abused his followers. 
both children and adults. One member of the church, Annabelle Forrest, joined the group with her mother, Jacqueline, when Annabelle was just seven years old. Badly subjected the girl to years of rape and psychological abuse. By age 18, Annabelle was pregnant with Batley's baby. In February 2008, she went into labor. At the hospital, she had time to think for herself, free from the influence of her mother and Batley. As she brought her baby into the world, Annabelle realized something was very wrong with her life. She had a daughter, who we'll call Samantha. Throughout most of the nine months that Annabelle carried her, she dreaded becoming a mother. She tried not even to think about the baby. But when she saw Samantha for the first time, Annabelle felt emotions that were unfamiliar to her, unconditional love and happiness. The amount of love she felt for her daughter shocked her. She wanted to be by Samantha's side at every waking moment. And back at the cul-de-sac, she found herself becoming extremely protective whenever someone else picked her daughter up or tried to feed her. After years of being mistreated by her caregivers, Annabelle didn't want to see her child go through the same thing. And even in small ways, it already seemed like the group planned on neglecting Samantha. Batley refused to buy the baby anything new. She only received the barest hand-me-downs. Though Annabelle received 500 pounds in government benefits to take care of the baby, Batley confiscated the money for his church. She had to ask him for diapers, a stroller, and even a car seat. Despite being the child's father, Batley refused the request multiple times, extorting Annabelle for sexual favors in exchange. Annabelle had no rest from the church. Now that Samantha was around, Batley forced Annabelle to share a room with her boyfriend, Thomas, who believed he was the baby's father. Even though she didn't have romantic feelings for Thomas, Batley wanted them together to help obscure his abuse of Annabelle. Annabelle felt pressured by Batley to go along with the charade. Batley's sexual abuse was a secret. As usual, she followed his orders, because she was afraid of what would happen if she refused. A few months into motherhood, things only got worse. In addition to raising her daughter and taking care of two young siblings, Batley continued his sexual abuse. Then, one night, he suddenly informed her about a new role he wanted her to fulfill in the church. Batley told Annabelle she needed to work like her mother, but Annabelle was only familiar with Jacqueline's work schedule. Every weekend, she left for Bristol, 100 miles away, for three or four days at a time. Annabelle had no idea what her mother actually did. She shuddered to think about spending weekends away from her baby. She didn't trust anyone to take care of Samantha, especially not Batley. But like most things involving the church, Annabelle felt she had no choice. Batley told her she would be living out her destiny to become the Scarlet Woman, the highest-ranking female role in the church. But first, she would have to endure even more torment. Annabelle soon learned that her mother and a select few other women in the church were forced into sex work. The women in question were the only ones who knew about the arrangement. It was torture. Right before leaving for her first weekend away, Annabelle gave a heart-wrenching goodbye to baby Samantha. Batley assured Annabelle he would take care of her, but Annabelle physically couldn't let go of her child. Eventually, Batley yelled at her to hand the baby over. His tone sent a chill up Annabelle's spine. Not wanting to anger him further, Annabelle put the baby in Batley's arms and prayed Samantha would be okay. Then she got in the car to drive to Bristol, over two hours away. 
That Friday night, Annabelle arrived at a brothel named the Paradise Lounge. She joined her mother, Jacqueline, and a few other women in the church who worked there, including a woman named Shelley. Jacqueline directed Annabelle to her room and told her to get dressed in lingerie. While Annabelle got ready, Jacqueline told her how business was run at the Paradise Lounge. Annabelle was expected to sleep with any men that wanted her. Because the lounge was a 24-hour operation, she wouldn't get much rest over the next three nights. Dread filled Annabelle. She didn't want to do this. She hoped desperately that her mother wouldn't make her go through with it. But she did. Jacqueline may have been sympathetic on some level. However, she'd been involved with the brothel for the last few years. She might have seen it as Annabelle's rightful turn. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. Throughout Annabelle's account of her time in the church, she described how she often numbed herself to her body and emotions to get by. This coping mechanism is called dissociation. It's a common response in individuals who experience immense trauma, especially survivors of child sexual abuse. In an article on dissociation for the Dialogues in Clinical Neuroscience Journal, Dr. Richard Lowenstein describes one definition of dissociation as, quote, a psychobiological state or trait that functions as a protective response to traumatic or overwhelming experiences. It appears that to endure Batley's abuse, dissociation became a way of life for Annabelle. The routine of her first weekend at the brothel quickly became the new norm. Every weekend, she drove down with the other women to Bristol and performed sex work from Friday night until Monday morning. It required soul-crushing endurance. To make matters worse, Annabelle missed her daughter terribly. When she returned, she often found Samantha in days-old diapers, crying hysterically. She had no idea what happened to her daughter while she was away. But she knew Samantha was neglected, and that was enough to break her heart. There had to be a way out. When Batley first told Annabelle about the forced sex work, he said there were three ranks she had to reach first in order to become a scarlet woman. He based these off of Aleister Crowley's The Book of the Law. In it, there were three mystical numbers, 318, 618, and 918. Batley interpreted these numbers as goalposts for each level in the quest to become the scarlet woman. He told all the women working in the brothel that they would have to sleep with 318 clients to reach the first level, followed by 618, and finally 918. Altogether, Batley expected the women to sleep with approximately 1,800 men to reach their goal. This encouraged a sadistic competition between Jacqueline, Shelley, and the others. Yet whether or not they reached their goal wasn't so important to Batley, as long as they consistently made money for him. Annabelle hated it. The competition between her mother and the other women had gotten ugly and fierce. Annabelle, however, had no interest in participating at all. She just wanted to get back to her daughter. As her time in Bristol dragged on, she was surprised by some of the clients she met. Some were mean and dangerous, but others treated her with a kindness she wasn't used to. One of her clients was particularly gentle. He often paid simply to spend time with her and talk. They struck up a friendship, and he urged her to get out of the cult and find a better life. While he didn't know the full extent of her life in the church, this client offered to fund her escape from sex work and live with him. It was tempting, but Annabelle always refused. 
However, the client did successfully plant a seed in her mind. There was a way out. Looking around at her situation, Annabelle knew that even if she reached the numbers Batley had assigned, she still wouldn't be free. Her mother, Jacqueline, had already reached the coveted 1,800 clients. She still traveled to Bristol every weekend. There would always be a new test and a new rank to reach to appease Batley and the gods he believed in. After Annabelle got to know men from the outside world who never talked about religion or spiritual tests, she became increasingly distrustful of Batley's demands. Her interactions with the outside world proved there was more to life than the church and Batley, so she began to scheme for a way to leave Batley's control. Annabelle started pocketing some of her earnings at the Paradise Lounge to test Batley. Once she'd done it a few times without a reprimand, she realized he wasn't as all-knowing as she once thought. She knew that if she kept saving small chunks of her money, she might be able to leave the cul-de-sac, but she wouldn't be able to do it without help. Though Annabelle's relationship with her church-mandated boyfriend, Thomas, wasn't romantic, they did lean on each other for support. While Thomas didn't know what kind of work Annabelle was doing, he'd also become frustrated with Batley's high demands. Batley forced him to work in town all day away from his family, and Thomas hated handing his hard-earned paycheck over to the church. In the winter of 2008, Annabelle floated the idea of escaping the cult together. All they had to do was pool their resources. Thomas agreed. By January 2009, almost a year after Samantha's birth, Annabelle and Thomas had hatched a plan to escape Batley. Together, they would bring everything crumbling down. Coming up, we'll find out how Annabelle and Thomas made their getaway. Hello, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we're the hosts of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. You may know us from the very creepy and excellent podcast Red Handed, but now we've teamed up with Parcast for an unprecedented look at history's most nefarious groups. Some preach extreme religious practices. Others warn of impending doom. And then there are those whose endgame is far more diabolical. Every Tuesday on Sinister Societies, we take a peek behind the curtain and discover the most ominous organizations the world may or may not have known. Learn how entrepreneurial sects made fortunes off their brand, how charismatic cult leaders caught the eye of celebrities, and why strange orders of the extraterrestrial or collegiate kind attract the most unlikely of followers. Some groups convene in the shadows, others operate in plain sight. All are absolutely sinister. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. 
They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Now back to the story. In 2009, over 10 years after Annabelle Forrest was brought into the cul-de-sac cult, she made plans to leave. She longed to escape the sexual abuse she'd suffered at the hands of 46-year-old leader Colin Batley. And she needed to make a better life for her infant daughter, Samantha. To get out, 19-year-old Annabelle conspired with her platonic boyfriend, 24-year-old Thomas, While she secretly saved some of her earnings doing forced sex work on the weekends, Thomas searched on the internet for old family connections of Annabelle's that might help them. It wasn't an easy task. Over the last decade, Annabelle had lost touch with her family. She hadn't seen her grandparents since they came to visit her in the first year she moved to Kidwelly in 1997. She no longer knew where her biological father was. He'd stopped making an effort to contact her after getting remarried. Annabelle thought about reaching out to her aunt Amy, but eventually decided to go another route. She trusted in her mother's old boyfriend, who was almost like a stepfather. We'll call him by the pseudonym John. John had actually met Batley and lived in the cul-de-sac for a little while before his relationship with Jacqueline ended. He knew a bit about Annabelle's world. She asked Thomas to find John on Facebook for her. It didn't take long for Thomas to make contact. After learning about their situation, John immediately agreed to help. He said, I always knew this day would come. It turned out he lived only half an hour away in a town called Carmarthen with his wife and child. While Annabelle felt elated to reconnect with John, it also devastated her to know he'd been so close all this time. She wondered why he hadn't reached out earlier. Annabelle had to grapple with plenty of difficult questions as she made arrangements to leave the church. There was the matter of her little sister and infant brother. She had practically raised them as her own because of Jacqueline's negligence and devotion to Batley. But if Annabelle was going to get out, she couldn't take three children with her. She'd get caught for sure. And even if she was escaping a cult, taking someone else's biological child was kidnapping. Annabelle and Thomas had an ongoing debate over the best way to leave the church. It took them almost a few months to officially decide to escape once and for all. On May 22, 2009, the two made plans for Annabelle and Samantha to sneak out of the cul-de-sac at 2.30 a.m. John would meet her at the end of the road in his idling car. Thomas planned to stay behind for the next day or two after that. In part, he wanted to look after Annabelle's siblings and see how Batley and Jacqueline handled her disappearance. A few days later, when he worked in town, John would come to get Thomas, too. In the darkness of the early morning, Annabelle rolled her luggage up the road towards the headlights of John's car. The reunion proved bittersweet. It was nice to be around a kind man who cared about her after all these years. She had virtually no parental figures that treated her with care. But still, it felt odd when they arrived at John's charming house and drank tea together. 
Annabelle told John bits and pieces about what she'd been through. However, she chose to keep the details of her sex work and the abuse to herself. When Thomas joined them two days later, he told Annabelle how the church had reacted to her leaving. Batley seemed unsurprised, saying she could try and survive on her own if she thought she could. Her mother Jacqueline didn't comment at all. Hearing that was painful and frightening for Annabelle, who knew her siblings were still there under Batley and Jacqueline's care. It was strange to imagine them living in the cul-de-sac without her. And though Batley acted like he didn't care, she knew he must be furious. Annabelle had to remind herself that she was free from his control, even though she still heard his old commands in her head. For the initial stage of their new life, Annabelle relied on Thomas. Though their relationship started out of convenience, she kept up the facade of the partnership for his sake. She felt like she owed him for helping get them both out of the church. The pair stayed with John's family for a few months while they got settled into their new lives. Suddenly faced with freedom, Annabelle found it terrifying to go into town and be among regular people, and being only 30 minutes from Kidwelly made her terrified of running into Batley. To try and ease her nerves, she tried alcohol for the first time. She was sitting at home with John while all the others were out. Feeling less inhibited, she finally revealed to John that she, along with her mother, had been sex workers for the church. John listened with horror and sadness. He felt guilty for leaving their family with Batley, not knowing the future that lay before her. He apologized with tears in his eyes. It was one of the first moments when Annabelle realized that what she'd been forced into was truly wrong. She still wasn't ready for anyone else in her new life to know about her past, however. She asked John to keep what she told him a secret and focused on moving forward. By September 2009, four months after their escape, Annabelle and Thomas got a place of their own. During this period, Annabelle traveled to London to visit her grandparents for the first time in 10 years. While there, she also reconnected with her aunt, who we'll call Amy, and Amy's long-term partner, who we'll call Sean. Amy was her mother's sister, and Annabelle had fond memories of her from childhood. On that visit, Annabelle found the courage to tell Sean about her past as a sex worker for the church. Like John, he too was devastated by what she'd been through. He told her Aunt Amy later that they both urged Annabelle to move to London. Around Christmas time in 2009, Annabelle and Thomas relocated to London for a fresh start far away from Batley. Annabelle quickly found a job at a clothing warehouse across town. Despite these bright developments, the first month in London was tough. Annabelle spent all her time working or commuting to work while Thomas stayed home with the baby. Thomas started getting insecure and overprotective, constantly checking up on Annabelle while she was at work. They also argued frequently. The new independence scared Thomas. He was clearly having trouble with the lack of control he felt in the outside world. This led him to contact Batley from time to time. He claimed he just wanted to tell Batley how they were doing. When Annabelle found out, she was livid. Not knowing what Annabelle had experienced, Thomas seemed to think that things at the church were better now. He pressured Annabelle to go back to visit everyone, but she adamantly refused. The couple's experience is common for those who leave such controlling organizations. An article published by the International Cultic Studies Association detailed how these groups create their own cultures. When members leave, they experience culture shock as they try to reintegrate into society. 
It's likely Thomas and Annabelle were struggling with this phenomenon in different ways. While Annabelle remained steadfast about moving forward, Thomas felt compelled to go back. The article states, Culture shock impacts the internal construction of the self and connection to others, which can lead to a profound sense of alienation called moral aloneness. Fearing for her safety, Annabelle felt she had no choice but to kick Thomas out. They ended their relationship, and soon enough, he returned to Wales to join back up with the church. Unable to continue working with no one to care for Samantha, Annabelle moved back in with Amy and Sean. It wasn't until then that Amy found out that Thomas wasn't Samantha's father. Annabelle had been drinking with her aunt when she revealed Colin Batley's dark secret. Amy was shocked. When Annabelle told her the abuse started when she was 11 years old, Amy became furious. She told Annabelle that what Batley had done to her was rape. The word gave Annabelle pause. Having been so cloistered from the outside, this was the first time anyone had called it that, and it made her rethink everything. Annabelle found the concept hard to understand at first. Every time Batley had framed the rapes as religious tests or questions, he made it seem like Annabelle had a choice. Amy explained that because Annabelle was a child, there was no way for her to consent. She urged Annabelle to tell the police. What Batley had done was not only evil, it was illegal. But Annabelle wasn't ready. She still had a hard time understanding the implications of the abuse herself. Over the spring of 2010, 20-year-old Annabelle's trauma became harder for her to cope with. The introduction of alcohol in the last year provided her an escape. She went out to pubs and clubs to drink her pain away. There, she met a man who we'll call Kyle, who introduced her to cocaine. Annabelle found herself using him to get high and avoid reckoning with the awful truths of her past. She stayed out with Kyle all night, for many nights in a row. She even neglected spending time with her daughter. She struggled with the truth that she'd been a victim, and that her daughter, who she loved so much, was a product of abuse. This is a common phenomenon for people who have suffered this kind of experience, and for ex-cult members in general. In an ICSA article titled, What is the Impact of Leaving a Cultic Group?, they discuss how many escapees may not be aware of the extent or nature of the trauma they were exposed to until after they leave their relationships of abusive interdependence. To cope, Annabelle turned to drugs and sex, and spent most weekends partying with Kyle. After a couple of months, though, she hit rock bottom. Her aunt and uncle found her stash of cocaine and kicked her out. They kept Samantha and told Annabelle she couldn't come back until she got clean. Knowing what she had to lose, Annabelle broke things off with Kyle and quit cocaine cold turkey. After a few weeks, she asked Amy and Sean if she could return, and they let her come back home. Annabelle was happy to return to her new life and tried to make the best of it. However, her health suffered. She struggled to put on weight after her drug use, and her aunt worried she might have contracted an STI or another illness during her time at the church. With Amy's encouragement, Annabelle agreed to see a doctor for the first time and get tested. Her visit proved harrowing as she waited for the results. She sat there not only worrying about herself, but also for the people she had left behind at the church, specifically her two younger siblings. These thoughts pushed Annabelle to get real justice. While the idea of talking to police scared her, she felt it was necessary. She had to prevent similar things from happening to her brother and sister. 
Once she got her negative results at the doctor, she called her uncle and asked him to take her straight to the police station. In May 2010, a year after she first escaped, Annabelle decided to take on Colin Batley. Coming up, Batley goes to trial. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Now back to the story. Almost a year into 20-year-old Annabelle Forrest's new life outside of the cul-de-sac cult, she decided to tell the authorities about her experiences there. Coming to terms with her mistreatment and abuse at the hands of Colin Batley and her mother Jacqueline seemed almost impossible at first. Annabelle had experimented with drugs and alcohol and lost control for some time. But under the threat of losing her daughter, she realized she had to take her life seriously and get clean. Armed with this new resolve, in May 2010, Annabelle went to a police station to give a statement about the physical, sexual, and psychological abuse she had endured in Batley's cult. It took a few days for the investigators to take down the details of her 12 years in the church. Reliving it was difficult for Annabelle, but concern for the safety of her siblings who remained in the church propelled her forward. Once Annabelle finished her full statement, the London police shared the information with the local department in Wales. While the finer details of the case were kept private from the public, it seems authorities found enough evidence in Annabelle's account to take action. Only a day after she gave her testimony, law enforcement headed to Kidwelly to arrest Batley and Jacqueline. When they arrived, the pair were sitting and drinking tea. Neighbors who weren't involved with the church came out of their homes to watch Batley and Jacqueline be driven away. Several of them had been suspicious of Batley's operations, but hadn't been sure enough to report anything to the authorities. Shortly after the arrests, Batley's wife Elaine and two other high-ranking members in the church, Shelley and Sandra, were taken into custody. In total, five members were taken in for questioning. All were linked to child sex crimes. Back at the station, Batley denied all 35 charges against him, ranging from rape to causing prostitution for personal gain. He didn't show any signs of remorse or guilt, perhaps driven by his unwavering confidence that the gods would protect him. A trial was set for February 2011. During that time, other cult members were interviewed. Several people came forward with allegations similar to Annabelle. One of them was Katrina, Batley's niece. In the late 1980s, she was placed in Batley's care while he still lived in London, and she was a young teen. Her account proved Batley started sexually abusing children even before the cult moved to Wales. Soon afterward, press fans arrived to interview the neighbors. They described Batley to reporters as an evil bully who paraded his Rottweilers around the cul-de-sac to intimidate them. One person even said, Colin Batley is the most disgusting and vile man you could meet. When the case finally made it to trial, police revealed that they'd conducted a paternity test on Batley. They determined he was the father of Annabelle's daughter and also Jacqueline's son. 
This news came as a shock to Batley's wife. She seemed unaware of the full extent of his crimes. The revelations caused her to distance herself from Batley and his actions. She announced that she wanted a divorce. At trial, she spoke in defense of herself, saying, I feel embarrassed to be married to him. I've changed. You won't get the better of me now. But her statements weren't enough to save her from jail time. Neither were Batley or Jacqueline's stone-faced denials. On March 9, 2011, the jury reached a verdict. Batley was charged for 35 different offenses. This included 11 rapes and counts for child sexual abuse. The judge gave him an intermediate sentence of a minimum of 11 years in jail without parole, meaning that Batley would likely spend much longer behind bars. During the judge's official statement, he said, When this case was opened to the jury, you, Colin Batley, were described as evil. That, in my view, is an accurate statement of your character. You set yourself up as the ruler of a sick little kingdom, surrounded by three women who danced as your willing attendants, regarding you as their master. Now powerless, Batley stood and listened with no expression on his face. He'd followed Alistair Crowley's mantra of do what thou wilt for years and gotten away with it. At long last, he had to reckon with his crimes. Annabelle's mother, Jacqueline, got 12 years behind bars. The judge stated that she'd acted as Batley's second-in-command. Her counts were for aiding and abetting rape, as well as offenses relating to rape of children. Though Elaine tried to blame Batley for everything, she still got eight years in prison. The only other church member who was sentenced was Shelley. She received five years for raping a 12-year-old boy. Annabelle chose to attend the conviction in person. She wanted to see her mother in person one last time. Annabelle described looking across the room at her mother, searching for any sign of humanity, but she found none. Jacqueline sneered at her daughter and turned towards Batley. As Annabelle writes in her memoir, I knew then with complete certainty that my mother was an evil person. But even after the guilty were thrown in jail, Annabelle still had a long journey to emotional recovery. She still couldn't help but feel remorse for sending her family members to prison. After all her time in the church, it was hard to shake the feeling that the gods were still watching her. She desperately wanted to reunite with her younger siblings and to raise her little brother alongside Samantha. However, social services decided that for financial and psychological reasons, she wasn't fit to take care of him. The boy was sent to foster care. Still, Annabelle had saved her siblings from a life of misery under Batley. That was a victory in itself. Annabelle decided to focus on the good she had done. She continued taking care of her daughter Samantha and enrolled in college. While going to school, she also got a part-time job working for a catering company. She became good friends with an older female co-worker who joked that Annabelle would be a great match for her son. Eventually, Annabelle allowed her to set them up on a date. After dealing with so much abuse from men, she really didn't entertain the idea of romance. But even so, she fell in love. By the summer of 2013, Annabelle and her boyfriend had moved in together and were expecting their first child. At age 23, she experienced true happiness and contentment for the first time in her life. Along the way, Annabelle still struggled with the psychological after-effects that many ex-cult members face. She had trouble making decisions for herself, dissociated, and struggled with depression. But she was resilient and took the steps necessary to make the most out of her new life. 
While Annabelle did her best to move on, the community of Kidwelly reckoned with the fact that they'd harbored a sinister cult for years. Neighbors who'd been suspicious of Batley now had confirmation that their intuition had been correct. Some asked themselves why they hadn't made an attempt to contact the police or knock on Batley's door before. Even Annabelle lamented that her estranged family and John hadn't made more of an effort to check in on her. In hindsight, there had been so many opportunities for someone to intervene, and yet no one did. Despite suffering so much abuse, in the end, Annabelle was the one to rise up. For that, she is a hero. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with new episodes on another cult. For more information on the cult and its members, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Devil on the Doorstep, a memoir by Annabelle Forrest with Katie Weitz, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Cults was written by Lena Olson, with writing assistance by Robert Tyler Walker and Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Cult stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. You aren't supposed to know about them, unless they want you to. Powerful groups with their own very specific agendas. And if you find yourself on the inside, good luck getting out. Hi, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Join us every Tuesday for our new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. Whether it's doomsday predictions, deadly greed, or world domination, each week we're exposing the beliefs and actions of the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify.